first time a sermon with no downside. This one is all positive. So the very last part of the book of Revelation, I've called it after one of my wife's favorite songs from Disney. It's called The Whole New World. I've heard you guys at karaoke. I know you know the song. It's from Aladdin. But I want you to think about this. From these two chapters forward, the world as you know it will change. Nothing that you know today, nothing that you see today remains in in the ending chapters of the book of Revelation. 21 and 22 happen after the world is completely destroyed. So let's jump right into it today. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. It will be a new world without tears. You saw a lot of tears up here today. These were joyful tears. These were tears of gratitude for what God has done. We have all wept many bitter tears, either the loss of a loved one or pain suffered in an accident or things that have gone wrong in our lives. We've all suffered things that caused us to weep. But in this new world that Christ is bringing, there will be no more tears, not even tears of joy. I want you to look at it right here. Verse 1 of chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. Underline it, church. This planet is gone. Everything that physically exists will no longer exist. The sea itself will be destroyed and completely removed. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of, from, out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and the pain will no longer exist because the previous things have all passed away. That's a promise, church. The day will come when, unlike that verse in the Psalms, my wife's favorite verse in the Psalms, that God keeps your tears in a bottle, he's going to pitch the bottles because those tears won't mean anything in the world to come. All that grief, all that pain, all that loss, whatever you've suffered and gone through will mean nothing. You won't even remember it. They say, and I don't know this for a fact, that when you give birth to a child, you forget all the pain. Somehow I find that very hard to believe. (laughs) I understand the joy takes its place, but I'm thinking the pain is remembered. But in this world, there will be no more pain. There'll be no more suffering. Think of it this way. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15 says this. For no one can lay any other foundation than that which has been laid down, the foundation that is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become oblivious for the day will dis- well, obvious for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved yet as by one who escapes through fire. You see, all the things that we lay up for ourselves, all the accomplishments, all the college degrees, all the money in the bank, all the cars, the houses, everything you have will be obliterated except for those things done for Jesus Christ. Ask yourself right now, church, sitting right here, if your life was burned up, completely destroyed, your good works mean nothing to God, 
Your good intentions mean nothing to God. Your kindness means nothing to God. If everything you've ever done was wiped away, would there be anything left of your life? What would you have left to offer before God if every selfish thing you ever did, now that includes the things that you did to win God's approval. Many of us came from churches where we worked hard to earn God's approval. We were good, we went to church, we gave our tithe, we uh, donated time feeding the hungry and taking care of the poor, widows and orphans. We did those things to get God's approval. Guess what? God doesn't approve of your works. He doesn't. So those works will not persist in the world to come. Only that relationship with Jesus Christ will exist. Now you say to yourself, yeah, I know there's a God. Well, guess what? The devil who got thrown into hell last week He knows there's a God too. He's seen the face of God. Why isn't he in heaven? Because knowing there's a God doesn't mean anything. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ by asking him to forgive us of those sins, push those things as far as the east is from the west, that's what will survive into the world to come. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. I think when we see heaven, we're going to weep. Maybe we're going to weep for those who didn't make it. We're going to weep for sons and daughters, fathers and mothers who will never see heaven because they simply did not have faith. And we will cry bitter tears when that final white throne of judgment happens. And those that we love are thrown into hell alive with the devil and the, the beast and all the, everything else that came along. But you know what? On that day, when it is said and done, he will wipe those tears away And your attention will not be on those who are lost, will not be on what came before. Your attention will be on Jesus Christ. And with him to fill your life, that's all you're going to need. That's all you're going to have, actually, for all of eternity. So all the world is falling away. But look on, verse 5. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write down these words. They are faithful and true. And he said to me, It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. The victor will inherit these things, and I will be his God. He will be my son or daughter for you ladies. But the cowards, unbelievers, vile murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, they will share. Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Okay, that's a little bit of a harsh statement right there. But keep it in context. In order for us to move into the world that God has intended, the world he intended in the Garden of Eden, he has to get rid of all of those things that detract from his glory, that take away from his sovereignty, that get in the way. If you've ever said, my will be done, you are among those who will be cast into that pit unless you have come back repented And ask Christ to save you. You see this world with no tears? We have to have tears to get there. And the tears are our tears of repentance. The tears that we shed saying, Father, I'm not worthy of your love. I'm not worthy of your gift of eternal life. But save me anyways. We shed our tears in repentance. And God wipes them away for all eternity. This is so encouraging to me. And look at this. I will give water as a gift to the thirsty. From the spring of life. In the Old Testament, I think it's Jeremiah who says, 
Why have the people of Israel, who have a spring of living water, fresh water, why have they turned away from that to dirty, muddy, bug-infested water that sits in clay cisterns or clay jars? You ever put water in, in a vessel of some kind and leave it exposed for a week or two weeks? You ever look at what's living in there and swimming in there? That's not something I would want to drink. That's man's religion. Man's religion is I can do something to win God's approval. No, you can't. I mean, the whole book of Revelation says you can't win God's approval. He has to give it to you through his son, Jesus Christ. And in these days, all of this will be done. And this will be the second death. The first death is when you die physically. The second death is when you die spiritually. No more chances. No more easy outs. No purgatory. You can't get sprung, guys. You're either in heaven with the Lord or you're in hell with the devil. And once you are there, the pit is sealed and you cannot ever be set out, be set free. This is the permanent death. When you die in this life, you just go into holding for the final death at the end of time. That's a terrible thing. But that's why God has to wipe away our tears when that final separation happens, when that final loss occurs. I think we'll all weep bitter tears for those who don't make heaven because we've tried so hard to share it with them. We've tried so hard to tell them, but their heart just hasn't opened to God, and we can't take responsibility for that. So I'm looking forward to that day when all this pain passes away and the tears get dry. We never have to cry again. Go on, though. Revelation 21, verses 9 through 27. Not only is it a world without tears, it is a world without darkness. Why do people fear darkness? Well, one thing, we can't see very well in the dark. If I walk through my house at night, I fall over things, things that people leave out that shouldn't be out in the middle of the floor, like other people, just sleeping in the floor. I don't know why I fall over them in the middle of the night. You can't see things in the darkness. Terrible things happen in darkness. I mean, werewolves jump on you in the darkness. Vampires bite you in the darkness. Terrible things happen in dark places. We don't like darkness. We like to see what's going on. Y'all totally missed that joke, didn't you? The whole twilight thing went right past you. Okay. It'll show up later. Anyways, here we go. Look at this. Verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had held the seven bowls filled with the last uh, plagues came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Then he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a very precious stone, like a jasper stone, bright as crystal. The city had a massive high wall with 12 gates. 12 angels were at the 12 gates. The names of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three to the west. The city wall had 12 foundations, and the 12 names of the Lamb's 12 apostles were on the foundations. Remember, one of them is not Judas, the other one is who? Paul. Just so you know that one. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out in a square. Its length and width are the same. He measured the city with a rod at 12,000 stadia. I think I read somewhere that's like 12,000 miles. So that's our big honking city, people. This thing is huge. Its length, width, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits according to human measurements, 
which the angel used. The building material of its wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. I know you're starting to go, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Pure gold like clear glass? Just keep going. The foundation of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation, jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, caledon. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardox. The sixth, carnelian. The seventh, chrysolite. I have no idea what these stones are, by the way. I've seen their stuff in the, in the book explaining it, but I still have no idea. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, oh, Christopher. And then the eleventh, don't even want to go there. The twelfth, amethyst. Suffice it to say right here, what John is seeing is the most precious collection of stones and gold that had ever been seen in the ancient, in the ancient world. If you look at the pictures of Babylon, if you look at the, the inner tombs of the pharaohs of Egypt, they had some of these things on them. They had some gold. They had some jewels. This is ridiculous. Not all the kings of the earth could pull together this many jewels, this much gold. Not anywhere on earth could you find a city this big. It was a size that is unimaginable for the people of that day, even for the people of our day. I mean, if a city was, was 12,000 miles long by 12,000 miles wide, how many people could you fit in it? An endless number. And that's how big this new Jerusalem will be. The picture is of a fortress that is imposing and large. This is ten times the size of Babylon. And Babylon's walls were so wide that four chariots could race down and back. They could have chariot races on the walls. We know that from history because those races were observed. So this place is so much more massive. When John saw this, he couldn't even begin to understand how you could build a city out of pure gold, clear like glass, out of jewels. It is a picture of a place of pure light and beauty. And that's all we have to go for there. There's no way that physically a, bu a building like this could exist. But all, all John could do was tell you what it looked like or what it appeared to be. So he was just giving you a picture of a city that was beyond imagination. Look at verse 21. The 12 gates are 12 pearls. We know where those come from, right? There's the story that Jesus told of the man who finds the perfect pearl and he sells everything to possess one pearl. Well, here's a whole gate that is just a pure pearl. Again, extravagance beyond imagining. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. The broad street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a sanctuary in it, because the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its sanctuary. Here's why I'm happy. There are no churches in heaven. You realize that? Read this. There, is, there are no churches in heaven. That means pastors get a permanent day off. Amen. Amen. So I'm working here and I'm taking the rest of eternity off. Why is it that we don't need churches? There will not be anyone in this city that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone here has been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Everybody here knows the Lord and worship doesn't have to happen in one place. It happens in the entire city. The entire city is a sanctuary dedicated to the worship of our God. After we do all of the things for Easter, I'm going to start something um, after Easter that I've only done once before. There, are, there is in the book of Psalms what's called the Psalms of Ascents. The Psalms of Ascents are from 120 to 134. What they are is they are the songs sung by pilgrims as they would make their way to Jerusalem 
to celebrate the great festivals of the Lord. And they talked about anticipation. They talked about the desire to go to God's house, to see God's house, to be in God's house. The awe that was, that was on those pilgrims as they entered the gates and they saw the priests guarding the house of God. It was, it was amazing. The temple of God shone like a beacon on Mount Moriah. Even as you came up to it, you could see it. That's how impressive the temple of Solomon was. So we're going to look at that because one thing that we got challenged with yesterday is nobody preaches on praise. Nobody preaches on worship. Well, I have and I'm going to do it again. So this series is going to be a shorter series, but it's going to be a fantastic series to challenge each one of us. Because guys, if you don't like singing praise, renounce Christ and go to hell. Because there is nothing in heaven to do except praise God. If you don't like worshiping someone else, if you don't like falling at the Father's feet, if his joy doesn't fill you and overflow from you, ask yourself, have you ever been saved? Anyone who has been rescued from hell has that spirit that overflows with praise for God. This is a place, a citadel built as a single sanctuary where the only thing that happens is God is praised night and day. I'm sorry, there's not going to be any night. Let's keep going, because I like that part. That's right, verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Each day its gates will never close because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Nothing profane will ever enter it. No one does what is vile or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Here's a challenging thought for you people. After God obliterates this rock we live on, heaven ain't going to be like nothing you ever saw. You know why? If there's no sun and there's no moon, sweetheart, this ain't no planet. This ain't no world that God creates and starts all over again. See, I got home this week, and there was a little flyer in my door. I said, ah, a flyer. I wonder who came to see me. I opened it up. There's a picture of a white-skinned, brown-eyed Jesus. I said, oh, I know who this is. I looked at the front, and bang, it was in Tagalog. Yep, Joe's Witnesses came to my door, and I missed it. I was like, what? Those are my favorite people to talk to. No, take it back. The Mormons are my favorite people to talk to. I love Mormons. Come in here, brother. We need to talk. JW's second on my list of my favorite people to sit down and talk with. Because we have this picture of Jesus, and we want them to see clearly who our Christ is. But this world will be like nothing we've ever seen. There is no sun in the heavens. There is no moon at night. There's no night. Can you imagine a world where there's only light and no darkness? Remember now, the earth got obliterated and the sea got wiped out. So for those of you who love to swim and body surf, you need to get it done now. Because in heaven, there is no surfing. Sorry to break your heart, but there ain't no golfing either. So there you go. That's another one for you. That should hurt your feelings. But I love this. The gates will never close because there's no reason. In John's day, nobody could conceive of a city with no gates. 
because you close the gates at night to protect yourself from thieves. But there are no thieves, no rapists, no murderers, nobody who comes in to steal because the great liar, the great thief, has been locked in hell for eternity. Imagine a house that has no doors. I'll tell you about him. The guy that did our wedding, he is from Samoa. And in Samoa, they don't just have no doors. They got no walls. Now stop and consider that for a minute. It's creepy. Their houses have a central pillar, and it goes out on the sides to form the roof to keep the rain and sun off them. But there are no walls because of the excessive heat. And everybody lives in a community of their relatives, so nobody is afraid of thieves or or someone that would come in to hurt or steal or rob. No walls. They have little nets they can pull down during the rainy season to, you know, keep the rain out. But that's it. A place where there's absolute trust in your neighbor, where nothing is hidden, nothing is concealed. It's a picture that we struggle with because as Westerners, we struggle with fear. We're, We're always afraid. We don't trust our neighbors. When I was a kid, I slept in the living room in front of the screen door in front of the house. I think the screen door was locked on the odd occasion, but usually the screen door is open so people can go in and out. I mean, if I'm laying down on the floor and someone came in to get milk, it didn't bother me. It was just, you know, old lady Jenkins down the street coming in to get That was okay. But that world disappeared a long time ago. Well, this world will reemerge. No darkness, no thieves, no fear. Can you imagine not being afraid ever again? No fear of the darkness because there's nothing in the darkness. Because there's no darkness. God sees it perfectly. Revelation 22, 1 through 21. We're streaming down the end, but I want to get to the end because there's a few things we need to recap. It will be a world without death. There's the ultimate one. I believe that people today are obsessed with vampires because people are afraid of dying. Except for women. Women are not afraid of dying. Women are afraid of aging, which I think is a bigger fear than a fear of dying. Hey, I base this on Dr. Phil, and Dr. Phil wouldn't lie to me. So I'm just going by Dr. Phil. Blame him, write him, don't write me. I think all people are afraid of death and all the things that go with death. But imagine a world where there is no death. No one dies. Look at this, verse 1. Then he showed me the river of living water, sparkling like crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Where does life come from? From Jesus Christ. That is where all life comes from, especially in this new city. Down the middle of the broad street of the city, the tree of life was on both sides of the river. Now, the tree of life disappeared where? In the Garden of Eden. Eden was destroyed in the flood. It was wiped out. The tree was gone, buddy, under all that silt and munch and stuff. So the tree of life has been gone from our lives since Adam and Eve got kicked out. But the tree itself hasn't existed since the flood. And now, here it is again. It's on both sides of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Heaven represents healing. And there will, be no, there will no longer be any curse on the land or anything else. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his slaves will serve him. That's us, people. Our job is to serve the Lord. 
They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will no longer exist and people will not need lamplight or sunlight because the Lord God will give them light. We will walk as those in the light who do not stumble. And they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his slaves what must quickly take place. Look, I am coming quickly. The one who keeps the prophetic words of this book is blessed. Remember at the very beginning? There's a blessing associated with this. If you've learned anything in the book of Revelation, it's this. You are blessed. Why? Because now you have hope in the future. You say you have cancer. You say someone that you know has just passed away. You say you lost your job. I say you have hope because the God of heaven is still on the throne. And nothing will come to you that he can't handle. Can I get an amen from somebody? Okay, you have joy because nothing can take away your life. Because if you die in this life, you pass into the presence of Jesus Christ. And there, there's no tears, no darkness, and no death. You can have courage to face anything the world does to you. You can have the patience to wait it because you know God's coming back. And you have the endurance to keep going. When school is tough and your friends are a pain, you can keep going. Not because you're tough, but because your God is tough. Amen? That's what we learn from Revelation. No matter what things happen in the world, a better one is coming, and God will not leave us here. Go on. Verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. So he says it. I'm a witness. I'm an eyewitness. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown them to me. Now, he did this once before, and it wasn't a good issue. But he said to me, don't do that. I am your fellow slave with you, your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. He said to me, don't seal the prophetic words of this book because the time is near. Now, God has sealed some things. He has sealed some things to the end, right? Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, but whatever is revealed is for you, your children, and your grandchildren. So we're not to hoard this. We're not to keep this inside and go, hey, I know the future, so I don't have to worry. It's for us to tell everybody what's about to happen, what's going to be going on, so they will know. Let the unrighteous go on in their unrighteousness. Let the filthy go on being filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness, and let the holy go on being holy. Stop right there. In the book of Matthew, it talks about the judgment of Jesus Christ. It says, it will be as in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, what was happening? People were getting married. They were having children. They're going to college. They're getting their first car or chariot or horse, whatever they had back then. Okay, people were living their day-to-day lives with no idea that the whole world was about to come crashing down on them. But who knew? Anyone that Noah talked to knew the truth. Because the Bible calls Noah a prophet of hope. See, he was a prophet in his day. He told them what was going to happen. He tried to give them a chance to be saved. How long did Noah preach and carry on? One hundred years. God didn't just destroy the world for no reason. He said, Noah, Noah, build the ark. The ark was a great big symbol that something was wrong. And for a hundred years, he told everybody who asked why he's building the boat. That's what the book of Revelation is. It's us telling the world, guys, you're running out of time. I don't know when the rain starts, but when the rain starts, it's too late to run for the boat. Because who sealed the ark? Noah? 
God sealed the ark. And when God seals it, it's a done deal. Look, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to repay each person according to what he has done. We covered that last week. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by its gates. Remember Jesus said, the thief tries to sneak in another way, but the, the, the rightful owner comes into the gates. We don't have to sneak into heaven. We have the right as God's chosen bride to walk in the front door. That's a great privilege, people. It really is. Outside of the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and anyone who loves and practices lying. Being given access to the tree of life means what? We will never die. Adam and Eve would never have died if they didn't get kicked out of the garden. Because in the center of the garden was the tree of life. Eat of the tree and live. Today, that's our choice. Either eat of Jesus, eat of that sacrificial offering, or know that you will die not once, but twice. And I'm sorry to say, that second death is permanent. Actually, the first death is permanent, too. It says, it is appointed unto a man once to die, and then the judgment. So the judgment is just you waiting for the second death. Let's finish this up. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest to these things, to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. All Old Testament references to the Messiah. Both the spirit and the bride say, come. Anyone who hears should say, come. And the one who is thirsty should come. Whoever desires to take the living water as a gift. I testify to everyone who hears the prophetic words of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in the book. Pay attention, church. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophetic book, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city written in that book. If you claim the book of Revelation doesn't matter, you are courting with eternal destruction. Because God said this is only the second book in the entire Bible protected by this curse. The other one is which book, church? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is sealed with the same curse that Revelation is. Deuteronomy is a wrap-up of the entire Torah, the entire law, and this is a wrap-up of all God has said up to this point. So this is, this is life and death stuff right here. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. The next word is Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all and the saints. Amen. Now notice, whoever desires should take the living water as a gift. Remind you of anybody? Jesus is going through Samaria, sits down by a well. Here comes a woman. He says, give me a drink. She says, hey, you're a Jew. What are you doing asking me for a drink? He says, woman, if you knew who I was, you would ask me, and I would give you living water, and you would never be thirsty again. That woman came to faith in Christ because she knew she needed something that she did not have. You can go to a religious activity every day. You can go do your prayers. You can go do this and this, and you can make you feel better for that moment. But just like any false thing, within 10 minutes of you taking that religious activity, you're going to have to do it again and again to make yourself feel better. Once you come to Christ, it's a done deal. The life is in you. 
not outside to be taken in. So, last word, and we are finished. One, this world will pass away. Nothing that you see will last. Nothing that you see will be here after those thousand years. Everything in this world will be annihilated. You know what's funny? At this point right here, every scientist on the History Channel completely, totally agrees with that statement. They all totally agree that this world will pass away. I have not seen any scientist on the History Channel say the world's going to keep going. They all say it is going to end, either in another Big Bang or the Big Suck or the Big Freeze or something. So they've cursed the world already. Two, everything earthly will be destroyed. Remember what I said before? Anything that's wood, hay, stubble, any man acts, any things that we do to try win and get, win God's approval, all that will be burned up with the earth. All that remains is what is done for Jesus by him through us. Third, our eternal life will be different from what we now know. What we will do exactly is not revealed. That's a Deuteronomy 29, 29 minute. Heaven is for the worship and praise of God. On a day-to-day basis, I don't know if they need ticket takers in heaven for the heavenly subway. I don't know if, well, I know this for a fact. All you nurses, psh, you out a job. Because no one dies, no one gets sick, nothing gets broken, no disease, no death. So all you nurses are on a permanent layoff when you get to heaven. For which you will eternally be praising Jesus, right? Y'all are going to be very happy when you get there. That's right. Last one is this. We can resist, well, sorry, we can rest without the knowledge that because Jesus went to prepare that eternal home for us, it's going to be all good. Whatever he prepares is going to be the best for us. So we don't have to know everything. We can rest in the knowledge that he did it. It will be more than we can imagine. Church, congratulations. You have finished the book of Revelation. You now know there's nothing in this world that can hit you, hurt you, touch you, do anything to you because God has already made a way for you in the world to come. I'd like you to do something special for me. We're not going to have a closing song. We're not going to have a closing song because I want you to take a minute and do something very important. Right now, I want everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. No exceptions, nobody getting up, nobody moving, unless you're taking babies to the bathroom, which is okay. We're not going to have a closing song because we don't need it. What we need to do right here, right now, is do some business with God. Believer, if you are sitting there, if you are a Christian, you are born again, you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, who can you tell this news to? You've been through the whole book of Revelation. People, people are frightened of this book, and now you know it. You know what it stands for, what it means. Who can you tell, believer, about the hope that awaits those who are in Christ? On the other side, if you're here and you're not sure, you're not sure who this Jesus is. You're not sure if you can trust the Bible. You're not sure if you can believe all of these old stories that happened, you know, almost 2,000 years ago. If you're sitting here, you have to ask yourself this question. And people, I say this with as much love and compassion as I can say it. What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? Because guess what? If I die and I was wrong, and there's no God, there's no heaven, there's no Jesus. First of all, it's impossible. But if I'm wrong, guess what? I'll never know it. I will live in a wonderful life. I will live a life filled with peace and hope and joy and expectation where every day is a celebration. And when I die, if there is no God, if there is no heaven, I will simply not know. 
I will have lived a life of peace and joy and happiness, and I'll go blissfully unaware into eternity. But here's the deal. What if there is a God? A brother named Blaise Pascal, a mathematician, a brilliant, brilliant mathematician. They ask him why a mathematician, a man of intelligence, why would he be a Christian? He said, because I am a gambler. Blaise Pascal liked to gamble. He said, because I'm a gambler and I look at the odds and the odds are stacked against the fact that there's no God. He says, the odds are stacked for the fact that there is a God. Because if you gamble all of eternity on the belief that there's nothing there, if you're right, you gain nothing. But if you're wrong, you lose an eternity in the presence of the God who made you and loved you and died to redeem you. So in this moment, church, I ask you, you have been through revelation. You know what lays ahead. You know the consequences of the choices that we make. If you're here and you're a believer, who can you tell? If you're here and you're not sure, then as was said earlier today, seek him while he may be found. Look for him while there is still time, because that time will not be forever. Father, thank you for this day. Father, I thank you that everyone stuck it out. We went long today, Father, because it was time change day. We went long, and Lord, I pray that right now as we prepare uh, both to eat and as we prepare to have our baptism class, Lord, make us ready. Help us to be prepared for the day ahead. Father, if you came back tonight, if you appeared in the heavens and all of your church was raptured out of here, God, I pray that there would be not one person in this sanctuary, who's left here wondering what happened. Well, Father, I pray that you would knock on the door of every heart. You would awaken every mind, every spirit to the truth of your reality, of your existence, and of your love. And that, Father, they might be saved in this day. Father, bless the food and the hands that made it. Bless those who came and visited today. Bless each one that came out and made the effort to be here, Father. And now, Father, we turn our attention away from the dark and terrible future and turn it to the joyful, glorious past. Father, bless us as we go forward as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, women and children, go grab some food. If you're in my baptism class, take about 20 minutes. And at 1 o'clock, we'll meet in the back room for baptism class. Take about 30 minutes. Shake a hand, hug a neck, say you're glad to see them in the house.